everyone. Welcome to the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model Podcast. This is going to be a mishmash of audio content, LinkedIn content, guest podcasts, interviews, debates, and live Q&A. We'll primarily discuss six topics that reflect the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model. One, sales development versus marketing. Two, the sales assembly line or the AE-CSM split in other subdivisions versus full sales or full sales cycle sales, aka AE-CSM combined, no handoffs, no prospecting. Three, quota versus holistic goals and metrics. Four, commission versus full salary plus bonus. Five, sales versus the option of self-service to the extent desired and possible. Six, the predictable revenue model versus the buyer-centric revenue model. If you haven't already, I highly demand that you sign up for the buyer-centric revenue model community to continue the discussion and help implement the model. Join the movement of forward-thinking peers liberating and modernizing B2B marketing and sales. Achieve a better growth playbook, a competitive advantage, and more productive and fulfilling careers. Enjoy insights, data, best practices, resources, and jobs. Plus, the live Q&A on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Head over to buyercentricrevenue.com to sign up. If you want to learn more about the model and these topics, check out my book, The Death of the SDR and the Birth of the Buyer-Centric Revenue Model. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And now to this episode. Hey, everyone. In this episode, we've got Matteo Elvira. He's the founder and CMO of Elvira Media, a marketing agency to help companies do modern, proper, non-spam marketing by creating videos for social media like YouTube and LinkedIn and TikTok, which is all the rage. So Matteo is also the host of the EdTech Marketing Podcast for EdTech Startup Marketing. He's also a content creator on TikTok and YouTube. And so unlike the peddlers of sales development, he actually drinks his own champagne and walks the walk. And you can see for yourself what he does and hopefully achieve the same. But yeah, Matteo, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me, Nelson. Um, I'm a big fan of your book. I know we, we met on um, Chris Walker's like webinar a couple months ago, and, and I feel like we we have a very similar thoughts around the, the way companies should be doing business in 2022. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. Right on. And guys, look at that. That's an exam- example of proper marketing. We met through the proper marketing of Chris Walker and the folks at Refine Labs and the community and the podcast and on social media. And that's how Matteo and I got connected. And now he's here. So look at that for attribution. Um, <laughs> imagine if I telemarketed him to, to do this and he never heard about me. Um, but all right, so let's dive into your buying preferences. So put yourself in the shoes of a B2B buyer. How do you first like to become aware of vendors? How do you first like to hear about them? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to find out about them organically, to be honest with you. Like, I, I enjoy like coming across new brands and products like on Instagram and TikTok. So I'm really big on those platforms. I know in the realm of B2B, those are like huge no-nos being on Instagram or, or TikTok. But to me, I think uh, at the end of the day, a buyer, whether they're a B2B buyer or a B2C buyer, we're all human at the same, di- at the same time. So 
Um, I like finding out about things, honestly, in a more like fun, non-traditional way, like just more like brand content on Instagram, TikTok, um, just, yeah, finding out about you outside of LinkedIn is sort of my preference. And I think it's just uh, the vibe on those platforms is completely different. It's not like, like, you know, buttoned up with the suit and tie on LinkedIn B2B. Like, I like to find out about it in a more fun and engaging environment. So for me, it's got to be Instagram, TikTok. Right on. And look, that that's where the, that's the blue ocean right there. That's the, where the grass is green and not a lot of folks are playing there, but guess who's playing there? Your buyers, they're there every day, scrolling multiple times to get information, to get entertained. And so if you're there showing up and your competitors aren't, well, that's going to be really refreshing and very interesting. And that's also a lot of fun for marketers to do that type of content. It's a lot more interesting than doing like a white paper that no one's going to read. Exactly. So now how do you like to learn about vendors? So once you become aware of them and you're like, hmm, interesting, I'd like to get more information. Um, how do you like to learn about them? What information is important to you to know in your buying decision? Where do you go to get that information? And yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So for me, I was actually in the market for like a, a, a dialer. I do some, some like outbound dialing. I know you're going to hate me for that, but <laughs> I do that on occasion. But like, I think that's a good example, right? Like I, I needed something to fill my needs. So I, I actually go to g2.com a lot. So I think that's a good mm-hmm. way to just be like, all right, here's this tool. What, what are some other comparable tools, right? Like I, so I actually lean on G2 a lot to be like, all right, if I'm looking for this tool, like I type in sales loft, what are some like comparable or similar like tools like sales loft? So for me, like I'm going there first, I'm going to look at a couple of solutions that are relevant to that one particular name or brand that initially stood out to me. And then from there, I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to go on the website. I'm going to figure out how much it costs. And then from there, ultimately I have like 90% of the information that I need to make a business decision for my agency. So most of that is, is like self-sourced. I, I don't really, you know, need to talk to a sales rep to figure out what dialer is best for me. And typically it just comes down to price for certain tools like that. So, you know, going out and actually a uh, funny story. I know that there's a new startup called uh pause. Uh, they're like a very early stage startup. They're building out like this new phone dialer and they had made a post on LinkedIn saying how they just got their new customer. And I just commented on there. I'm like, hey, like, this sounds really cool. Like, can I try it? The CEO actually DM'd me. We hopped on a call. He actually ended up telling me that um, his dialer is like half the cost of the dialer that I'm already paying for right now. And I wouldn't have found out about that if it wasn't for just like that natural organic post on LinkedIn. So I think that's a good example of just things that you'll find just scrolling on your LinkedIn feed. And and there was no like sales intentions behind that post. It was just like, Hey, we're celebrating our first customer. And then for someone like me, who's like, Oh, wow. Like I, I, I'm looking for something like that. Like, can, can you share more with me? And so I think just like that, it's just like a, a clear way to like, Hey, you don't need to be like selling and pitching something to, to get the name out. And again, like LinkedIn organic post is what, what got it done for him. So and another example of the irony and logic of sales development products and services who are successful because they market their products with marketing and not sales development. They didn't telemarket you. They did social media marketing and content marketing. So just take that to note audience. But 
so to, to Mateo's point, he, um, he goes to G2, he gets, uh, you know, feedback from peers who are using the product. Um, and he goes to the website and he wants to see pricing. So he does 90% of it, if, if not all on his own, exactly. thanks to, to marketing. And so that actually leads us into our next question is, so what's the percentage split preference for getting information from marketing versus sales? So from self-educating and self-serving information from marketing through the website, through content, and from your peers who marketing is also influencing um, versus information gated behind sales. Do you still hold to that 90% in favor of marketing or how do you... Uh, See well, it. I know that there's companies out there who you you can't even get like a price quote without talking to a sales rep. And so again, when I was in that market for that dialer, a few of these vendors, you know, they 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 don't have upfront pricing. So I have to like submit my email, my name, and then wait for a salesperson to reach out to me. By that time, you know, I've already had made a decision by the time someone's reaching out and you know, it's typically cold. They'd just be like, Hey, you submitted a demo request, anything I could help you out with. Like, there's no context to like why I'm reaching out. There weren't any fields like, Hey, what are you looking for? What are you hoping to do with this? It's just like, it's very clear that I'm, I'm just, um, a contact in a cadence, like an inbound cadence. And it's very general, broad messaging. And again, like I, by the time I got a reply from a sales rep, I had already made a buying decision. And, and like, that's because they, they, they're trying to shield everything to get you through the door. But by the time I'm like knocking on the door, like it's just, it's too late. It's just too late. So it, I, I think it can really shoot companies in the foot when you like try to hide and conceal everything in, in the way that you think will, will bring people in your funnel. When in reality, people are just going to skip over your page and they're going to go to the next vendor who does have pricing on their page. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so we'll put you down unless you want to change it up for 90% marketing, maybe 10% sales. Yeah. Right. And then, and then to the extent that you need sales and you want and need information from sales to, you know, to get information or help you can't get from marketing or from self-educating from the website or from your peers or trying the product on the website. Um, what do you need sales for? Um, you know, what do you look for sales as help for? I think there's certain products and I've never been like a big time C CMO where I need to sit in on like a huge, like implementation product. Right. I, I've never had to do like a huge B2B software, like pitch and, and everything. But I think for certain, for certain products, it's just super complex and uh, you almost need a salesperson to like walk you through certain things or ask you certain questions to determine like if you're a good fit. But for the most part, I, I you know, outside of those, those examples, you you don't really need a salesperson. And uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you just don't need a salesperson unless it, it's, you know, like a product led growth or something like that, like something that you can just you get a free trial, download it, start using it. Right. Um, so that's a big barrier for me, I guess. Yeah, totally. And I'm trying to help people understand this uh, euphemism of product led growth, which I think is, is misattributed to the product team instead of marketing because it's marketing who get it basically what it, it's a euphemism for a free trial and a free trial is one aspect of buyer self-service to some extent that they want. Um, and that's marketing. Like marketing is getting those users into or free trial activations or whatever. They're helping buyers to self-educate and self-serve and try the product. So mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, um, it's doing marketing into service that they're not getting credit where credit is due. And it's because people are, are, I think, I think are trying to evade the issue of the fact that 
company should be marketing led and not sales led, like it's the 1980s. And so they're like dancing around that and trying to ignore marketing because then they have to confront the elephant in the room. So the appropriate thing I would think about is it's marketing led and free trials an aspect of buyer self-service. And so now how do you not like to be marketed to? What does nothing for you uh, or negatively influences you? And you can think about this in terms of like, you know, when it comes to becoming aware of vendors, like what really turns you off or just is like, you just tune it out. Yeah. I think like I'm speaking Gary V logic right here. He has this philosophy like jab, 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 right hook. I think there's companies out there that their social media strategy is right hook, right hook, right hook, right hook, right hook. It's like, here's my product. Here's my product. Here's how great we are. Here's how great we are. Right. And it's like, it's just, it's just an ad. Um, And I'm a huge I'm a huge advocate for the storytelling is what sells your brand. The storytelling is what attracts users. They don't care about your bells and whistles. They don't care about your products. They want to know the the story, why the company exists, why they service the customers that they do. Um, what is the impact of the product on these customers? How does this product make uh, their customers uh how do they get more time from using your product? How how do they spend more time with their families? Right. So it's like the narrative, the story of why the company exists. That's what I love about marketing. And I think most B2B companies, it's just all, it's just all pitches. It's all like uh, Canva graphics that um, just show the price or sh- show like a generic quote from a, a, like a testimonial. It's just very bland. And it's, um, it's just a constant pitch 24 seven, like literally every post is a pitch. And I think that's, what's what's primarily wrong and broken in marketing is we we're disconnected from the actual storytelling aspect of what makes marketing great so yeah definitely and and everyone's heard me always use this uh analogy of going to the bar and then you you like you you know you're trying to woo the girl at the bar and you don't want to pester her and pop the question too soon to like go on a date and you just met her the whole point of marketing is you need to butter up the buyer and so the buyer has all this information, they're educated, they're influenced. And that basically at that point, they are interested in trying your product or buying a product and or speaking to sales. And so marketing is the cause and sales is the effect. And so you need to, you can't, you know, you need to put in the work, you can't just uh, pester someone, you need to put on the charm, you need to woo them and let them know how great you are not march in there and be like, I make a million dollars a year and I'm the best and you know, do you want to marry me? Cause it's, that's not going to go down well. And yeah. so it's this jab, jab. Yeah, exactly. So don't just, they say pitch slapping them. So don't spam them to be like, would you like to go speak to sales and be pushed prematurely to sales without me doing anything to properly, uh, you know, earn that. So, um, so totally. So on that note, how do you like receiving telemarketing to become aware of vendors? Um, in order to be pushed to sales. So I don't, I don't know how much telemarketing you get, but maybe you can talk about what that's like. What percentage of the time do you take a demo of that? What percentage of the time do you actually buy? Very, very hardly. I do get solicited a good amount, but I, I really don't sit in on demos. I have found that most sales reps aren't, you know, they'll reach out to you. You'll give them a little bit of information and then they'll just continue to spam you about taking a demo and for me, my background is in sales and, and I, I try to do the best sales that I possibly can. That's like very, very intelligent, very like well thought out. I think sales when done right can be can be very, very strategic. 
but I think 99% of the sales reps out there, they're just following up to their last email and following up to get you on the demo. There's no like, there's no like active listening. There's no like, you know, taking what you've learned on a very quick cold call and incorporating that in the the follow-up or giving that feedback to marketing. There's no feedback loop. And so it, it literally turns into just like, a follow-up telemarketer. Again, there's no value. It's just they're either following up to their last email or they're following up to get you on a demo. There's no like, wow, this person listened to what I said on a cold call and they actually put into context as to how their solution could benefit me and and you know follow up that way. So I think unfortunately due to like, the, the strict leadership and management of quotas that, that it's really turned uh, sales into just the, the, the wrong incentive to do sales, right? You're, you're doing, you're spam, you're spamming customers because if you don't hit a hundred dials, you're going to be put on a performance improvement plan and you're going to lose your job. And so I think it's fundamentally broken how sales development is right now because, uh, because of quotas, because of PIPs, And I think there's a lot that sales could do to improve, but as it stands right now, I mean, uh, all wrong intentions, it's not aligned with marketing. There's no feedback loop. And so it literally just becomes, like you said, it's just telemarketing uh, for what these B2B companies with their huge, um, you know, bank accounts, they should be more strategic. They should be doing things that, you know, 1970s stockbrokers weren't doing back way back when, right? Right. So. Yeah, totally. And I came from a sales development and sales background, in addition to a marketing background. So I've seen the gamut and it wasn't until I got to marketing that I was like, oh, okay, here's modernity. And uh, here's what people should be doing and what can and should be done. And so you brought up quotas and commission, and those are two ills in the sales world um, that basically pressure the seller to pressure the buyer. That's the purpose that they have. Um, It's a short-term partial goal and metric It uh, for sales development, which is a marketing function uh, properly understood and not a sales function, even though it evolved uh, from sales and sales advocates for it exclusively, not marketing. The, the quota and the commission is uh, monthly appointment set and 50% of the SDR salary is tied to that for sales. It's yeah. the revenue on the initial sale and that's it. And then 50% of their salary is tied to that. That is what quote and commission are. And that again is to incentivize sales development to do pressure marketing or spam and to incentivize sales to do pressure sales, which is a lose-lose. Um, no one benefits from that. It's not like it's a, it's a, that's a good thing for marketing or sales. And that's why marketing sales are suffering today. And that's why buyers have a lousy experience. And so um, now on that note, how do you like to be receiving email spam or LinkedIn spam, you know, the connect and pitch or cold emails as they're called to become aware of vendors or to be pushed to sales. And similarly to telemarketing, not only, you know, how do you like it, but you know, what percentage do you take a demo? What percentage do you actually buy? Go ahead. Yeah. I don't really take any demos or buy anything directly from cold outreach anymore. I do like a lot of personalized outreach. Like if you send me a video DM, like a, like a tailored video message, like I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll reply back to you. If I get like a, like a voice message, like an audio message, I'll reply back. Like if you, if you're creative about it and you do something that isn't spammy, like a traditional connect and pitch, then, then I'll take the time to respond and hear you out. But again, this is like 1% of people that are doing these things. 99% of it is just connect and pitch or a very traditional sales pitch. And so 
Yeah, I talked yeah. I talked about this in a podcast episode and also in the book where there's a myth that the alleged solution to spam or the alleged antidote to spam is if we make it more personalized or and or relevant to the recipient so that they're less annoyed and less likely to tune it out and reject it. And it's like, no, the answer is to do proper marketing. It's just to do marketing, to stop spamming because um, you might get a buyer who takes pity or who like looks at it and has a laugh. Um, But that is such a small percentage and even smaller percentage that take a demo and even smaller percentage that they actually buy or even a smaller percentage they actually buy as fast. And then you have to think about, is this marketing activity necessary relative to other marketing tactics? And does it do more harm than good relative to other marketing tactics? Because there's always an opportunity cost. So just because spam can generate leads and revenue doesn't mean that it's necessary and does more harm than good relative to marketing. And so um, a lot of people in the sales and sales development world who are used to spamming buyers, because that's where spam sort of evolved from, um, they, they can't conceptualize the opportunity cost with marketing because they don't know what marketing is or they just ignore that. And so, but it's marketing's job to make that known. So on that note, um, what's the percentage split preference for becoming aware of vendors from marketing versus sales development? I mean, YouTube's a good example, right? Like whenever you have a problem with something, you'll punch it into the YouTube search bar and odds are you'll get a lot of searches that can meet your needs. So I think um, in the modern world, if you have a problem or if you want to do research with something, you'll just look it up on Google or YouTube. And if companies are smart about the way they position their content, it should populate on the other end of those searches. And it it makes more sense that way because uh, when you're searching for something, very targeted and specific odds are you're you're in that mindset of buying something or you're in that mindset of your ha- you have a problem that your company has a solution to and that's the reality of the world we use google to search up facts questions we go to youtube to search certain things and so like why why don't we have that same approach with the way b2b should be done it's like every, now because you work for a, a saas company you you now uh, buy exclusively on LinkedIn or cold call. Um, so it's just very strange to me that, uh, you know, we, we do these things as humans, as B2C buyers, but, but if we put it in a B2B light, it's like, it's completely different to people. It's like, Oh no, they're, you know, we have to cold pitch them and cold, cold email them. It's like, no, it's like, if it, if you bought something on, on a Facebook ad the other day, what makes you think that this person isn't, um, equally prone to to buying similarly like you so i think it's just like very strange to me that like the way we buy as humans even as like marketing leaders we 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 feel like that is different for other people when in reality it's not totally so percentage split between your buying preference to become aware of vendors from marketing versus sales development again marketing you know, content, social word of mouth, referrals, community events, website, co-marketing, blah, 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 sales development, spam, telemarketing, email spam, LinkedIn spam, physical mail spam, and bribery via gift cards in order to get buyers aware of and to push buyers prematurely to sales to learn. So any uh, percentage split preference between that? It's like (laughs) 95.5. I'm assuming that was marketing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and marketing. Yeah, Yeah, I feel you. All right, so now... Uh, let us move on to your buying preferences for sales. So we spoke a little bit about this, but assuming you want to sell it to some extent, right? Maybe given the complexity of the product and yeah. the complexity of implementation 
And maybe the fact that the product is uh, affects the whole organization, you got to bring in all the different departments. So do you prefer having a single seller with no handoffs or the sales assembly line where you have multiple sellers and multiple handoffs? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense while there's so many parts. You have a party that just schedules the appointment and then you have another party that runs the demo and then you have another party that helps you implement the solution and then you have another party that, uh, you know, helps you with customer success and then if you if you want to cancel your product, you have another party that you speak to. So there's just a lot of people that you could speak to and I, I, I don't, I can't imagine that that is a uh, a positive customer experience, especially if you're like, you know, a, a, a larger CEO and you have actual big business priorities and you don't want to get the runaround for certain things um, for your, for your like business software and stuff. But yeah, man, I think uh, it, it just, I mean, for example, like I bought, I bought superhuman. So that was like a, an email tool. I don't know if you've heard of them. And the person that initially reaches out to you is the one who hops on a call with you. They help you set it up and they're there for you if you have any questions. So it's like one person that gets you on the calls that helps you set it up. And they're your, they're, they're your customer success manager. And I think that's a phenomenal way to do business because you build rapport with that, that single person. They obviously know what they're talking about because they do this with hundreds, if not thousands of other people. Um, and again, they're there for you, like as a point of reference, as a point of contact basically for as long as they'll work there. Right. So I think that's a real, that was a really good, like uh customer experience is like, I talked to one person and they were able to help me with everything. They were extremely knowledgeable and I could still reach out to her. I'm, I'm sure if I had questions um, today, and I think that was, that's just a good example of like a positive customer experience. Exactly. And one of the things that the sales assembly line does is it prevents the seller from developing full efficacy and expertise. They're really, they're partial sellers and they have partial accountability to the buyer. They make promises and then chuck them over the fence to the other buyer. The AE does the initial sale and then chucks mm-hmm. them over the fence to the CSM to, to worry about things like implementation, adoption, customer success, which is what the buyer really wants. Um, and so it, it creates really bad incentives there and you have a bloated sales order with a lot of headcount. And um, Okay, so now do you prefer a seller whose compensation depends on your decision to buy? In other words, their commission? Or do you prefer a seller who is paid a full salary plus bonus? And if you knew which beforehand, let's say the website advertised it like, hey, our sellers are non-commissioned, they're paid fully and properly, I would say, uh, would that be a better experience for you? And to analogize commission and full salary and bonus, a full salary and bonus is like the full cake plus icing on top. And the commission is half your cake. Um, it's half your salary, which is, which is withheld pending the buyer's yeah. decision to purchase. Then you, you might get some icing on top of your full salary to the extent that you exceed your quota, which is uncapped commission. But again, so knowing that, do you have a preference as a buyer if that was known to you? Because again, the one of the, uh, one of the n- consequences or on, you know, one of the intended purposes, I would say, of commission that I argue, and maybe you don't see it this way, is that it's intended to pressure sell buyers. And so sellers need to, quote unquote, create urgency, which is, is a euphemism for, for pressure selling. And so I know I've just totally led the witness here, but um, and it's so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question, man. I mean, I'll speak to it from like my perspective as an SDR. I think 
I know you're a big proponent of this, like SD, like you're doing an SDR a disservice by continuing this as their job. And it makes a lot of sense because an SDR doesn't really make that much money. I think they get paid like $50,000 while an AE is definitely sitting on a lot more cash, but the SDR is doing like the hardest part, right? They're the ones like cold calling and, and having to face all this rejection and, and their compensation is dependent on how many meetings they book and how many deals that they close. I think if you actually pay an SDR a reasonable salary, you know, something that they don't have to like hustle and force leads down a, down the pipeline and, and, you know, you know, swindle customers to get them to the finish line just so they can have a livable wage. Right. Um, No other department treats their employees like sales, right? Recruiting doesn't have 40% of their salary held off until they fill the roles. Uh, Finance doesn't, uh, get paid the remaining 50% of their salary once the the books are closed in Q4. And so uh, I think, again, it just goes back to a fundamental sales problem in this industry is like we, we treat salespeople so poorly um, and we're, and we're wondering why, why there's so many bad leads or why, why there's so many forced bad opportunities is because people are, you know, they, they need to pay their bills and this is the only way they, they pay their bills. So I empathize with that, but I think it's a systemic problem where, like you said, uh, People are forced to bring in bad opportunities, uh, fabricate that data to make themselves look good so they can collect the paycheck. But again, that's not buyer centric. That's like sales centric. That's like internal employee. I would even say it's anti-seller. And I think that commission and quota actually denigrate sales. And is one of the reasons that sales has a bad reputation, not just amongst buyers, but among sellers themselves and why salespeople, first of all, a lot of people turn off to sales. Um, and a lot of people don't stick around in sales. There's high turnover. There's low tenure, low job satisfaction in sales. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, part of that is because of quota and commission. And so it's, it's really problem. lousy and insulting to sales that, uh, you know, and no other department has it. No other department would want it. If they did, um, they would quit and there'd be a strike. So there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around commission being beneficial to the seller, which I debunk in the book. And smart sellers are realizing that and smart sales leaders would be wise to pay their sellers properly with a full salary and bonus. Lots of companies and smart modern companies have moved in that direction. Monday.com, Culture Amp, Pluralsight, Microchip Technology, Legion Logistics, Backblaze, Refine Labs, a whole bunch of folks, Bravado. So those, those are smart companies that will attract, motivate and retain the best sales talent and uh, also buyers. So um, now let's talk about modern B2B buyer preferences at large. So today marketing, not sales influences most, if not all of the buyer's decision to purchase something like 90%, like you said, it's, it's almost, yeah, dead on with your buying preferences. Buyers want more marketing, less sales. Um, why do you think that is what's changed in the past 10, 20, 30 years that buyers want to become aware of and learn about vendors more from marketing than from sales and marketing has that ability to give that information. Yeah. The, the answer is simple. It's, it's uh, the internet and, and the evolution of social media. You, you get your news from social media, you, you get family updates from social media, you get current events from social media uh, and I think, you know, you want to find out about new solutions and, and products through social media organically in a way that doesn't feel so pressure and like you need to buy this now. And so 
I think with with the adoption of the internet and social media and these media uh, distribution platforms, um, that's how people want to find out about things. They want to find out about things on their own terms. They want to make decisions on their own terms. Uh, they they want to see the impact of that product or that solution in a visual medium, right? Like, am I going to take your sales reps word for it? Or are you going to show me an actual customer testimonial through video that I could digest and, and, you know, take in on my time and, and, and do my research. Right. Um, that's how, that's how companies should be, you know, pitching their services in a buyer centric way. Again, social media has absolutely changed the way we communicate, the way we buy things, the way we learn information and, and, and business should align and, and fit into that mold. Just, just like how we've adopted again, the way we, we learn news, current events, family updates, like it's, it, it's just how it is. It's, it's a, it's the medium of communication and, uh, and it's a way that you could scale actually your outreach and your, and your awareness through these online platforms. You know, so you don't have to be knocking on doors or hiring 20 sales reps to, to do 80 calls a day just to get two connects each, right? Like it just doesn't, the math doesn't make sense anymore. So I would say SDRs are better off just making content for brands and just being the super creative people that they are, as opposed to just trying to, trying to do a full day's worth of work for one to two connections on a, on a very cold call. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I recommend companies do is they liberate sales development to marketing, which they're anyways, desperately trying to do. And, um, and so you gradually repurpose sales development because there it's good talent stuck in a bad role. And so a lot of people will look at my book and especially like sales development, and they'll see that they'll take it that I just am trolling or I'm, I'm hating on sales development. And it's not that I'm hating on the sales development uh, or sales SDRs. Um, I'm, I think it's good talent in a bad role and that the SDRs will be the first to thank you if you liberate them to marketing. Now, of course, their SDR leaders don't want that because their SDR leaders have a vested interest and they've, they've escaped from SDRs to SDR management and leadership where they don't have to do that stuff. They can force other people to do that stuff. Um, and so, um, but the SDRs, and I've experienced this, they, they support me, that they're in touch with me and that they're looking to escape as fast as possible. That's why the tenure for an SDR is 14 months and dropping. And that, and then if you subtract three months of ramp time, that's 11 months. And so they can't wait to escape. They're miserable because yeah, all they're doing is spamming buyers with telemarketing email spam, and they've got quoted commission and public performance scoreboards. So anyone who has the alleged interest of sales development would liberate them and not profit off their plight, which I think is what the sales development leaders and influencers and trainers and consultants and agencies uh, are doing who are selling sales development, labor products and services. They are taking advantage, I think, of unsuspecting young people and unsuspecting CEOs and marketing leaders and sales leaders who should know better. So um, now uh, I agree with you. Oh, one last point I want to say is that, yeah, modern buying preferences and modern marketing and technology and social media have like replaced the sales led model. Like the problem with the horse and buggy was not that they needed more training and more compensation, faster horses is it was that the car replaced them. So basically companies should be marketing led, not sales led and B2B companies just haven't adapted. And so you can, you know, it's the same thing we say in software, it's the software spiel, right? 
out with the old, in with the new. Stop doing spreadsheets, use software. Um, and so we should apply that to our own marketing sales model for a massive competitive advantage. And okay, so now um, a lot of marketers are frustrated with the outdated B2B sales-led model from the 1980s. And they're enduring less productive and fulfilling careers. They feel like they're in a straitjacket, forced to do things they shouldn't, prevented from doing things they should. Many are fleeing to agency, freelance, or B2C. What do you see as the biggest challenge holding back marketing from modernizing and liberating B2B from the legacy sales-led model? And how can they overcome it? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take companies that are really invested in those avenues to find incredible success, um, I think, for, for people to even bat an eye, unfortunately, because I think it's just, yeah, it's just, yeah, corporate America is really old school. We like, it likes to hold on to things that have, have, that have worked for years, uh, but it's, it's just going to take, you know, that innovation, that, that, that next young startup that is marketing-led, that has no SDRs or has their SDRs do content creation instead of cold calling. And then you start to see that company find a lot of success and raise money and, you know, absolutely crush it. So I think, unfortunately, it's going to take, it's going to take, you know, a company really, or companies taking this strategy and like embracing it to the fullest and, and, and finding like a bunch of success, attracting the best talent for, for, for reasons, because they're doing things that are at the cutting edge. They're doing things that, that people know aren't working, you know what I mean? So I think it, it's going to take a couple of companies to, to really do this full time and really take it on and, and like find a bunch of success with it. But exactly. If you think happens, about, yeah, if you think about in the software world, right. Um, you've got your early adopters, your early majority, your late majority, whatever late adopters. And so Ideas take time. The the let's just say my proposed solution, the buyer centric revenue model, or, or similar proposed solutions. Just you know, let's just say in general marketing led, um, it's going to take B two B time because there's vested interest, there's inertia, there's change, there's the old way, and the fact is, is if you have to take them through the same marketing sales process with B two B, which is like here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's how you get from the problem to the solution. Um, here's social proof. So here's example case studies. And here's the cost of inaction. Here's the benefits that you get. And actually what you're doing is really stupid and harming you. You just haven't realized it. And so uh, um, that brings us to the next question. Um, and I, I don't know if if you've ever done this, or if you heard people doing it, but I'm trying to collect case studies. But have you ever compared the performance and ROI of marketing's website demo requests versus sales development leads against real marketing goals and metrics? Um, cost per acquisition, win rate, sales cycle, revenue, pipeline. Because, um, or maybe, and so, because a lot of companies blend the good with the bad. They blend their bad elements of marketing, their sales development or their spam with their actual marketing, their good marketing, which is actually driving their growth and profit. So I think that that um, when they look at the total picture of the marketing efforts, they don't separate that. That allows sales development to hide behind marketing and ride off of marketing's coattails. And um, it, it lets people mistakenly believe um, that it's necessary and does more good than harm when it's the opposite. So are you, have you ever done that or have you ever heard any people doing it? It's okay if you haven't. Nah, to be honest, I, yeah, not, not too familiar with that. Yeah. And so that's okay. So, um, but it, it, 
anyone who's listening, uh, you know, encourage you to do the same thing. And if anyone does know companies who have done it, let me know. I'm always looking to share more of those case studies. I just shared one on LinkedIn from Sales Whale, uh, who did that successfully and, and everything about it. They're covered in the book. And then I'll also be sharing Cognizum. Um, and so unfortunately this, this type of information and data isn't publicly available, like all B2B companies, marketing efforts aren't publicly, uh, public knowledge. So, so I'm hoping to get more of this stuff to come to light. So, um, now are you aware of any companies that have shifted resources from sales development to marketing? It's kind of similar to the prior question, um, where they were like, okay, let's lean more into marketing and repurpose sales development to some extent to marketing. Um, I know that there's like a handful, like if I look at the type of SaaS companies that are on TikTok, there's probably like five of them, right? It's probably Chili Piper, PandaDoc, um, and like maybe like three others, right? And I would say like, those are the companies that are, that are leading the way for B2B. Those are the companies that aren't afraid to try things like TikTok. And I think those companies, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to be successful because they're, they're at the cutting edge of, of these new platforms. They're trying new things. So that tells me as a business, like they're not so close-minded about the way they, they want to do things. They, they recognize that B2B is changing, that things are changing, that buyers are on TikTok. And so I just applaud the, the hand, again, the handful of companies that are on TikTok right now in the B2B space in 2022, it's probably like five of them. Um, you know, they get it. And I think I really applaud companies that are willing to do those risks, even though it may not provide direct ROI um, tomorrow, but they, that they're, they're absorbing all the, the market share in the B2B space because there's no competition on there. So I applaud them. Again, a Chili Piper is one, PandaDoc is one. There's a handful of SaaS companies that are on there. There's really not that many, but uh, those are the brands that have always believed in marketing, right? Chili Piper has always believed in marketing. They've always done good marketing. So it's not surprising that they're on these new platforms, you know? Yeah. And look at what Chili Piper does. I mean, they they help companies automate website demo request qualification scheduling, which was um, which are used to be a sizable part of the sales development role and is to still some extent today. But it's like they automated that and that made a lot of sales development people nervous and so, um, but again, it's like fundamentally they're, uh, if you look at companies, they've got this mixture of bad marketing, good marketing. And you, even if you look at these companies, you see that it's their good marketing that is driving their growth and profit despite their bad marketing. And so, um, these companies are, you know, uh, who are, I, I'm not sure about PandaDoc. I know Chili Piper to some extent, their audience is sales development and marketing, although I think they should be focused exclusively on marketing, but um, you know, so if you just look at these companies, it's the sales development that's hiding behind marketing. And uh, it's very hard to, to like, if you're going to try to liberate sales development into marketing or to say, Hey, sales development, start to do marketing. You cannot, you, if you keep them in the sales development role to do that and you pressure them with quota and commission and public scoreboards of their performance and by inference, their commission, um, then you're tying their hands behind their back and you're, they're not really going to be free to do what it is they need to do. Um, but if you liberate them to marketing where they don't have quota and commission, they don't have the public performance scoreboards, they don't have to do all this telemarketing in addition to that, then, then they have free reign to do it. And because, you know, the, the marketing isn't like you, you produce one podcast episode or you do one piece of content and then buyers are like, 
knocking down the doors. It's you need to do marketing for a sustained period of time. And some buyers need more, some need less, but remember marketing is also influencing their peers and you get compounding yield over time because buyers are influencing each other and, um, and uh, your marketing team gets better. They get better at their positioning. They get better at their messaging. They get better at their tactics. They get more efficient, more productive. Um, they're figuring things out. They're testing different stuff. And so it's better to do um, proper marketing and make mistakes than it is to do spam, quote unquote, well. And so um, I think a lot of companies get, uh, because they don't do marketing well, they get desperate because they just haven't done good marketing. And so now they're under pressure for their company. And then that causes them to do even dumb things. It's like, let's say you've, with your finances, you've wasted all your money and racked up credit card debt. And then you're going to get desperate and do dumb stuff. And maybe you're going to be like the guy from Breaking Bad and start selling crack cocaine. Or let's say um, you're really, really hungry um, and you reach for junk food because, and you go to get fast food instead of taking the time to cook yourself something healthy. And so suppose your goal is to get fit and to live a healthy life. And suppose your goal as a company is to be is to grow and be profitable and, and win market share and attract good talent and attract buyers. And then customers breed customers. And that's how you get word of mouth and advocacy. And, you know, um, if you want to build a good company, then you need to build a good marketing engine. It's marketing that's influencing most, if not all the buyer's decision. And so you need to do proper marketing and that is better in the short term and even better in the long term than bad marketing. And so to the extent that you do bad marketing, you counteract um, and crowd out good marketing. And don't forget that opportunity cost. So um, with, with that, Mateo, um, what I'll do in a second, I'll, I'll ask you about you know who, who you help and how you help folks. But is there any other bits and pieces we didn't cover that you wanted to share with the audience? Any other insights um, or perspectives? Yeah, I would just encourage B2B brands to look at what some of the B2C brands are doing on social media. Um, you look at companies like Duolingo, you look at all these B2C companies, like marketing is like 90% of their like focus and efforts. And I think it does pay off in dividends. They're very creative. They're on platforms like TikTok and Instagram. And although B2B is traditionally like like a LinkedIn channel, I think I would encourage B2B brands to think like B2C brands. Uh, think think in a way where it's, where it's uh, multi-channel, omni-channel. Uh, you're taking advantage of some of the new, new mediums like video that obviously social media platforms are really pushing and incentivizing. And I think if you are open to these kinds of things, it can really drive just a ton of reach and uh, awareness to your brand and, and set your company up for success. Uh, yeah. So I, and, yeah. And if you're a, a marketing czar um, at your company, then walk your CEO to the same process I walked Mateo with, which is elicit your CEO's buying preferences and get your CEO to put themselves in the buyer's shoes. In addition to that, interview your buyers to understand their buying preferences yeah. and speak to them about how they want to become aware of and then how they want to learn and then get your attribution nice and tasty where you ask, how did you hear about us? And you ask them like, what made you actually like, like, how did you learn about us to then make you actually buy? And so the, 
the better, the more uh, and better that marketing does that, the more credit that marketing is going to get for showing that, hey, this is actually what's working. And then, yeah, you can also show your CEO examples of B2C companies and you can show them examples of B2B companies that do this to extent and be like, look, the thing you like about that company or how you became aware was this, this, and this, and we should be doing that. So um, that might help folks. Now, um, Mateo, tell us a little bit about, yeah, who you help, you know, audience size, company size, industry, uh, t- department, titles, um, and, and how you help them. Yeah, so we, we work with brands and agencies, and we help them produce high-quality video content for social media. Obviously, I think you and I mentioned this video, producing and editing video is a lot of, <laughs> it takes a lot of time. And uh, it requires a lot of expertise with things like lighting, storytelling, um, rhythm, timing. There's a lot of tools that go involved. And so um, we have found that that has been an incredible time sunk for a lot of these marketing teams when they could be focusing on bigger level initiatives. So partnering with uh, an agency like ourselves, uh, we have found our clients to be able to take advantage of some of these awesome video platforms like YouTube Shorts. Instagram Reels, TikTok, creating a podcast on LinkedIn, all of these things that drive mad engagement, mad reach for companies online. You look at Chris Walker, he's uh, religious with his video podcast, and he's been able to grow his agency, uh, I would say, relatively fast. So you look at you look at the big marketing players right now, what are they doing? They're leaning into video. And so uh, we sort of help support that production um, editing and distribution of that video content for, for companies. Right on. And and you mentioned his excellency and our Lord and savior, Chris Walker, who heavily influenced me. But if a lot of marketers listen to this, or people know about Chris Walker, he, the first thing that Chris Walker did when he went his own way back in 2018 was he hired a videographer and he started producing videos on LinkedIn because he's a marketing consultant and agency. And so he realized, you know, he put his face out there, build this personal brand to get people more familiar with him and affinity for him. He's the face of Refine Labs and he's been doing daily LinkedIn vids and I'm doing the same. I just started doing that. Uh, I put out maybe six or seven and seems to get pretty good engagement, but it's like those videos are like Amazon. They, they, they live on eternally. It's content on demand. You can do a YouTube playlist. You can do, um, you know, have your LinkedIn post videos up there and people can just kind of go through that at their leisure and it gets your face out there as opposed to just writing something. So not only can you write a post, but you can also include the video in the post. That's what like Chris Walker and what I do. It's like we write. So it's a, it's a combo of written audio and visual, right? So you're like trifecta, you know, hammering your buyers with your amazing messaging. And so it's like, you're the guy at the bar, you've got the personality, you got the character and the looks and you got a big fat bank account and a good job. And no, I'm just kidding. But like, you know, so, but the thing is you got, you got the whole, you got the whole p- package and to Mateo's point, it video is very hard. And that's why a lot of, it's not hard, but it's like, I said to Mateo pre-show, it's a lot simpler to get a list of, of people's phone numbers and just telemarket them, even though it's really, really hard to do. And you get a lot of rejection and it's, it's unnecessary and does more harm than good. And it does it, it incredibly harmful. Um, than it is to produce a good video, to record that video, to then edit that video and then publish it and do some writing on it and then repurpose that video. Exactly. Um, but it goes such a long way. And so I'm doing that right now. And I can realize like, yeah, it's, it's takes some effort. And, and so a lot of companies could, could benefit from Mateo's help and to do you use the right type of video on different 
channels and repurpose on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on TikTok. So Mateo, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your insights and your perspective with the audience. Uh, Mateo's details will be in the, de- in the uh, episode description. So if you found uh, Mateo interesting and want to have a chat with him, you can find him there and you can follow Mateo on LinkedIn. And again, he's, he's active on all the, the content platforms and TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and LinkedIn. And so he puts out great content so you can check out his stuff there. So yeah, thanks again, Mateo. And thanks again, everyone. Buyer-centric revenue model over and out. Thank you guys. Uh-huh. Thanks for having me, Nelson. 